This episode is brought to you by Fetch. Fetch is a kennel alternative right here in Denver, not a traditional doggy daycare or boarding school. They offer one-on-one private pet care for all kinds of pets, both furry and non-furry. And their employees are experienced, insured, bonded, and background checked. So you can rest easy knowing your pet is in good hands. Basically, they know pets. Um, I used to watch a Burmese mountain dog named Sven, who was just like walking a polar bear. It was insane. (laughs) Fetch offers pet sitting, dog walking, pet taxi, medication administration, and more. And he hated going on walks. I could like walk him around the block and then he was like, he just like to lay in the bathtub. So if you're looking for high quality pet care you can trust, check out Fetch at northdenver.fetchpetcare.com. That's northdenver.fetchpetcare.com. Today on CityCast Denver. After 12 years as mayor, Michael Hancock is on his way out the door. He leaves behind a place that's grown by leaps and bounds. But is it the world-class city he promised? I sat down with the mayor himself to talk about his legacy and the race to succeed him. Today is Wednesday, May 24th. I'm Bray Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Mayor Hancock, welcome to CityCast Denver. Glad to be with you, Bree. So you've been mayor for 12 years, and I want to talk about all the ways that you've impacted the city. But to start, did you like being mayor? <laughs> I love being mayor. And I'll tell you that I think that the uh, best political job in Colorado was mayor of Denver. Why? I think the opportunity to be creative, innovative, um, to really be close to the people, to see the impact of decisions that you make, to really impact the the public realm in a hopefully a very positive way. And recognizing that, uh, you know, as Denver goes, so goes the state of Colorado. And so that's a pretty formative position to be in. And it's uh, and it's also very unpredictable. And I like that. So one of your biggest priorities and something I've heard you say over and over again is that you wanted to make Denver a world-class city. Recently, U.S. News and World Report ranked us 99th in the country. And in 2020, we were number two. So I wonder, do you think that you made us a world-class city? You know, one of the things that I always said, even when I was a, uh, uh, we were like number one in the nation as far as the best place to live and um, is that we can't get too excited about these rankings. We also can't get too down about them. They they move and, and, you know, little things can happen. Denver is without question firmly set on the world stage today. Uh, I think the summit that we just hosted with 4,000 people from the Western Hemisphere uh, came, that was an unsolicited award to Denver because of our efforts on the global stage. And so I, I think that in the kind of cascading of of awards, of direct flights from airlines um, near and far kind of indicates a very uh, clear interest in Denver as a destination point, um, as a global city competitive. Companies that have moved in from foreign countries um, deciding that Denver would be their North American home. I think those are indications. We are seeing growth in our foreign tourism indications, again, that Denver is a city that is now seen as a globally competitive city. Now, are we where we want to be? No. But we are far from where we started. And uh, that's an important point. So I, I see what you're saying where um, globally we've we've changed the perception of who we are. 
But um, in this report, they said Denver offers a lower value than similarly sized metro areas when you compare housing costs and medium household income. So I'm thinking about the average Denverite who says, are we a world-class city if it's too expensive to live here? Well, I mean, it's great. to You can arrive at that destination. We are very expensive when it comes to housing. It is not something that any of us planned. The growth in Denver has been an amazing, unprecedented moment in time uh, for the city of Denver. At the same time, we have not kept pace with the growth, with the building of housing, particularly market uh, or at least working family housing and affordable housing. Um, and Denver's going to have to catch up. And so none of us are proud of the cost of living in Denver. Um, and it's going to be something that's going to take, I think, decades to unwind. But this is part of basic economics. The demand far outstripped supply when it came to housing because Denver became that popular destination, particularly for the millennial generation. It said, we're going to Denver, no matter where they were coming from. Chicago, Illinois, Dallas, Texas, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Boston, they were moving to Denver, Colorado. And uh, unfortunately, we had not had, we didn't have the inventory when they arrived. Like you've just discussed, Denver during your administration has grown leaps and bounds. And again, so many people have come to our city. Um, but in recent years, that trend seems to be turning around a little bit and there's signs of our growth slowing, if not maybe going in reverse. What do you make of the recent population slowdown? We knew it would happen at some point. I mean, it happens again with just about every city. And now you see cities like Boise and Kansas City uh, growing in population. People, uh, it's, it's a very mobile generation, very mobile society right now in the U.S. And um, people are looking for that place where you can affordably, you know, get started in your career and affordably start your family. Um, and so now it's Boise. Now it's 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 Helena, Montana. Now it's Kansas City, Missouri. But what we have not seen is really we are seeing an, 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 ebb, an ebbing, but not a real decrease in the population growth in Denver. We are seeing a slowing down maybe a plateauing, um, which may not be bad for us, which could be a nice relief as we try to catch up on some of these other metrics, including building housing. So I know that you talk with a lot of other mayors across the country pretty regularly. Is there anything that you're sharing with those mayors? I don't know if it'd be a warning or something that you wish that you knew um, going into an administration before we had this explosive growth and then we did struggle with things like affordability. Without question, I've had conversations with the mayors of Kansas City, mayors of Miami, which is the number one fastest growing city in the country right now. And you might recall, we spent about a half a de decade, if not longer, that Denver Austin and D.C. were the top cities competing to be the fastest, uh, most robust growing cities in the country. My And I've listened to the mayors give their speech about all the metrics that we're, they should be proud of. Best place to live, number one place to start a family, number one place to, to be an entrepreneur, start your business, fastest growing city. And I've heard them give those speeches. And I said, you know, I gave those same speeches five, six years ago. And you should have a lot of pride. You must also be mindful of X, Y, and Z and how to prepare for it. And if I had to do it over again, there are some things that, uh, you know, I would, you know, while giving those speeches, I'd be focused on making sure we're doing, you know, accelerating efforts in this bucket here, that bucket there. What do you wish you could go back and do? Well, I, I think that we would accelerate, obviously, our, inf our investment around infrastructure, although we did some of that uh, coming out of Hickenlooper and I continued it on. We made tremendous investments, maybe would have started those sooner. Um, certainly would have, uh, uh, instead of trying to incentivize the market, do a little more pushing of the market to build more affordable or workforce housing in Denver. Uh, I think, you know, the fact that we have built 
uh, some like um, 14,000 uh, affordable housing units in Denver under my term, which has never been done under any mayor. I think it says a lot in terms of our commitment, but if I could have, if we could have found a way to accelerate even more of that, to to double or more than half, uh, do almost, you know, 21, maybe 25,000, maybe that would have been good. But those are things that, you know, obviously um, not forgetting that when you do this, you got to make sure you have places for people to live and you're investing in those efficient, effective resources would have been, you know, I think more uh, of a wise step. You said you've built more housing than than any other mayor for Denver in its history. Um, people like me, critics of you have said, that's not enough. We're not serving our folks who are unhoused. What do you say back to critics of how you've dealt with our homelessness? Well, I think population? one will never be enough. I mean, here's the reality. Denver, um, as the first mayor to ever use general fund money to build housing for not only people who are experienced on uh, 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 or who are unhoused in our community, but also for working families. You know, city, this is not the space cities are usually in. It's usually federal government and state who are more the drivers of housing. I think for Denver to step in this space, I think was innovative and it was the first time we've done it. I don't mind people, including yourself, criticizing us about doing it, uh, but we did what we could with the resources that we had. And I think people who have never been on this side don't really truly understand mayors don't build housing. It's not what we do uh, to say we built 14,000. That's not enough. Well, then did you say it to the governor? Did you say it to the president Because and the, the delegation? Because those are the folks who typically fund. Uh, for Denver to reach into the general fund under my administration was unprecedented. Um, and now we're spending as much as $254 million. I guess the question is, when is it enough? The ratio in which we are upside down in terms of access to accessible housing um, is so formidable that no city budget will ever be able to meet that challenge unless we stop doing everything, including police in our city, and just say, all we're going to do is housing. We just, that'll never happen. back at past mayors of Denver and think about some really big signature policies or projects I'm thinking about. Um, Robert Spears' City Beautiful movement, um, Federico Pena and DIA, this third busiest airport in the world. What in Denver today do you think people will associate with your legacy? I think our push for globalization in Denver will be one that people will talk about. Um, I think the the objects around the corridor of opportunity that lead from downtown to DIA where we really ignited that movement and you see a whole new uh, uh, form of investment around places like Union Station and Rhino and Brighton Boulevard. Um, I think some very strategic public investment to drive private interests um, are things that when we look back, we'll be proud of. You just mentioned some neighborhoods like Union Station, but I know you live in Green Valley Ranch, right? Mm -hmm. Have you seen anything change in your neighborhood in the last 12 years? Oh, absolutely. I've been in, uh, I've been a resident of Green Valley Ranch now for almost 20 years. Um, obviously, you know, home values have gone through the roof, but there's also more residents in Green Valley Ranch. There are more amenities in Green Valley Ranch. Uh, I've driven the building of a, a library in Green Valley Ranch, the, the swimming pool in Green Valley Ranch, and improvements in the public realm, more infrastructure investments and roads that didn't exist uh, when I first uh, got elected to city council and ultimately in mayor as mayor. And then, of course, we're part of the Aerotropolis, and there's a tremendous amount of growth and development around um, the Aerotropolis and, um, and, and, and synergies between Aurora and Commerce City and other parts of Adams County. But I, I would say you and I have been watching the city grow. We both yeah. grew up here. There's this conversation about a lot of new apartment buildings being 
ugly, fugly. <laughs> um, and during your time in office, I think this galvanized people, the anger over ugly buildings. Um, as you leave this office, are you worried about how you're leaving the built environment? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if anyone's perfect or, or has a perfect record or believe that they were perfect in terms of engineering the built environment. But let me say this. If there was something I would go back and redo, and this was something that about 2018, um, at the time, Bradley Buchanan, who was our director of community planning development, we both looked at what was happening in Denver and said, you know, we could do it again. We had a chance to completely redesign Denver Sky, Skyline. Sky. What do you call it? Skyline. Skyline? Line. Yeah. Good. I get out of my head. Which has Skyline. grown in, yeah. in, in, in a mean, cool but way. In, a, in an iconic way. Sure. In a very iconic way. And and meaning that when you came in, it's like, well, if you're going to build this endeavor, why is it just a normal kind of building? You know, why don't we, let's get funky with it. Let's, where, where we are with regards to competition with Shanghai and Beijing and Tokyo and, and places like, uh, you know, Qatar and 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 um, Dubai. Let's be real unique about it. And let's be let's put a stamp on our skyline. And um, that was if we could have done it over again, we would have thought differently about how we approached our work with builders and developers. And that includes our apartment complexes. You know, we understand it's a costly prospect, and a lot of times the margins are thin. But what could we have done to really incentivize and drive that design? And and again, put a unique stamp on our skyline. What neighborhood did you grow up in? I grew up in several neighborhoods. Montbello, okay. um, Park Hill, Five Points. How do you Cole. feel about those neighborhoods today? All of them have transformed, um, except for Montbello hasn't gentrified as much as, you know, uh, as Five Points and Cole neighborhoods that I grew up in, Park Hill to an extent. Those are our neighborhoods. And, and I, you know, for I've studied gentrification and voluntary displacement. Way before I arrived here, those neighborhoods were in the system of changing. And uh, if, if you know, there were things that we were able to do to kind of stem the tide, but neighborhoods like Curtis Park, Cole were gone. Um, they'd already changed over significantly. People have been displaced. And, you know, while, you know people have a right to live where they want to live, but um, when it comes to really the loss of a culture and a history of a neighborhood, that's where I think it really sticks me because I think a lot of folks were unfortunately involuntarily displaced. And as a result, uh, culture was lost. Do you feel responsible at all for that? Um, I think we, um, all of us as policymakers, um, learned some serious lessons, in particularly the turn of the century. Um, again, I came in, I watched neighborhoods change as a non-elected official and wonder why Curtis Park was changing over. Well, a lot of hospital staff were moving in. A lot of uh, older African-Americans were dying off, unfortunately, and their families were selling property. And, um, you know, they, they were not close to what they're worth today in terms of their value. And so do I feel responsible for them as a public policymaker? What I felt responsible for was trying to understand better what was going on. You may not have been around or, or, or maybe, I don't know if you knew, the early in my administration I brought in gentrification, voluntary displacement experts to help us understand how does this occur? And not only did my administration study it and try to learn from it, we try to get other community members to understand and, and learn from it. What we learned, Bree, is that cities are the first to know that certain investments are occurring because you're filing plans with the city. You're asking for permits. We know a certain company may want to go in. We see certain clusters occurring um, in neighborhoods, hospitals. We're, we're going in, heck, through bonds to go and improve neighborhoods. If we know that, 
then we must also ask ourselves the question, what are the unintended consequences? Coincidence. Who are the most vulnerable people to these investments? Now we're going to make this neighborhood very desirable. We want to find a way to keep people in place and allow them to stay in place. So how do we do that? And so our office, through their analytics and their tools, go in and do that. We saw what happened in uh, Five Points, which became Rhino. It's like, when did that become Rhino? It was Five Points. Decades in the making. Before people look up there, look up and realize it's happening, it's like, it's gone. And that's what happened in Five Points. Um, and that happened before I became mayor. But we try to hold on and try to change some things. And it's unfortunate that on some, some areas were gone already before we arrived. So we're watching this race to succeed you as mayor. And it's a runoff between Mike Johnston and Kelly Bruff. Mm -hmm. Have you been following the race? Absolutely. Do you uh, do you do you have any idea who would you think would be a better mayor, Mike or Kelly? <laughs> you know, you're not gonna get me to talk about that. <laughs> all right, all right. You know, listen, I think both of them would be good mayors. Be, be a good mayor. I'll be honest with you. I think the Denver voters got it right uh, when there was a pool of you know 27 people pulling petitions, ultimately down to 17. When you looked at that pool, when I looked at it, just quite honestly and candidly, I said these are the two that should be in the runoff. One of the two, if not both of them, should be in the runoff. And I think the people of Denver saw it and demonstrated once again, we're more of a centrist community, a city uh, that cares about people, but also have a moderation in terms of our approach to policy. Do you have any advice for either Kelly or Mike? I've had a lot of conversations with both of them and, I'll, and uh, my conversations and, you know, and I don't know if it's advice. I don't know if they need advice from me. Um, both of them love the city. Um, one of the things I've said to them, love the city more than you love being mayor because that's what's going to drive you every day. Being mayor sometimes is going to suck. It's going to absolutely be challenging, frustrating. Um, but if you love the city, you get up and do it anyway, right? And you do it for the love of the city. It's like our children. You know, I, I love being, um, uh, the, you know, loving my children more than I love being a father because being a father sometimes just sucks. <laughs> but in fact, I love this individual, this human being is, is overrides everything. So I have one last question. You had mentioned that Miami is the fastest growing city in the country. I heard a rumor that you might move to Miami. I love that rumor. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I really have been trying to research where that I have never said I'm moving to Miami. Okay. Okay. I've never said that. Do you have anything that you are looking forward to doing when you're not mayor anymore? Wow. You know what? Listen, let me just say this very clear. I love to be mayor of Denver. I love my city and I'm going to stay in Denver. Uh, this will be my base. Um, and I love the neighborhoods. I love the people of Denver. Um, I, I, what I'm looking forward to is the one day, that first day, maybe waking up and not feeling like I got to run to the headlines, pick up my phone to see what happened while I was asleep. And if I missed a call from anybody, the police chief or, you know, the fire chief, whatever, um, and not feel the, you know, the weight of the city on me. And, I, and, and maybe just for a little while, maybe enjoy that moment. But uh, I'm sure that it won't take long for me to get back to saying I wonder how things are happening and, and how decisions are being made. So are you saying we haven't seen the last of you in, <laughs> in a political position here? I have never said I'm going to stop being in politics. I am going to take a break, but uh, who knows what's next? I don't know. Mayor Hancock, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. The tragic killing of Christian Glass, a former Clear Creek County Sheriff's deputy shot and killed the 22-year-old Glass in June of 2022 after he called for help from the side of the road near Silver Plume. 
CPR reports that Glass's family will receive a $19 million settlement with local governments and law enforcement agencies. It is reportedly the largest police misconduct settlement in state history and comes with assurances from law enforcement that they will be taking steps to ensure this kind of thing won't happen again. And in DIA news, United Airlines, which is already the state's largest private employer, is planning to hire over 2,000 more people this summer. According to the Denver Post, it is all part of the company's expansion plan, which also includes investing nearly a billion dollars to build a new check-in lobby and add 12 new gates. All that infrastructure is supposed to come with more flights, too, including nonstop routes to San Juan, Puerto Rico and Greensboro, North Carolina. And finally, go Nuggets! They completed a sweep of the L.A. Lakers in the Western Conference Finals on Monday night, sending them for the first time ever to the NBA Finals. This is a huge moment for the Nuggets and Denver. They've never won a championship since the team was founded here in 1974. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell the mayor of Boise about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. The Greensboro, North Carolina, the home of the National Folk Festival.